0: You're listening to the Word of Life AG Podcast. We're so glad you're getting caught up on the message. This week, we conclude our series on John the Baptist with a message from Pastor Tom Wood titled, Why Was John a Hero?
1: Let's check it out. Well, good morning, everybody. So glad that you're able to be here. Um, I want to take a moment before we get into the message and we'll start looking more at John the Baptist. Um, would you mind standing with me? We're going to pray. And uh, I wanted to uh, pull everyone together and pray because we say often that we're a faith community, that we're a family. It's what God's called us to be. And at the moment, there's just so much that's going on in different church members. Um, I'm sorry to let everybody know that we had a church member pass away this week, And Ned Dolan, has been a longtime member of the church recently faced some sickness, and she passed this week. So there's a family in our church grieving right now, and I'm sure that the Dolan's aren't the only family that's grieving in our church. There's a lot of very serious uh, sickness and health concerns represented in our community of faith. And so we're going to take a moment, we're going to pray, and we're not going to pray because we're in church, and it's the kind of thing you're supposed to do. We're going to pray because you believe that prayer changes things, that prayer affects things, that prayer makes a difference, that the Lord hears the cry of His people. So as I lead us in prayer, please don't be an observer, don't be a spectator, but join me in prayer. Pray for hurting people, people that have got good reasons to be afraid in our community right now, that the Lord will be with them, the Lord will bring breakthrough, amen? Come on everybody, let's pray. Lord, for the people in our church, for the people in our community, for the people we care deeply about that are hurting, Lord, please bring relief. Lord, bring hope where hope is needed. Lord, for the Dallin family as they're grieving, Lord, I pray that in the midst of feeling an incredible loss, that, Lord, still there would be peace from you, that still there would be comfort from you. Lord, for other people in our church that are going through very serious health concerns that have got doctor's appointments coming up, that are waiting on reports, that are uh, Lord, that have got intimidating appointments coming up this week, Lord, please be with their families. Bring healing where healing is needed. Lord, we come to you. We come to you. Lord, we commit as believers, that we're going to support each other as people go through tough times, that we're going to be the the caring voice in a scary situation, that we're going to offer support and love when people are grieving and people are down. Lord, I just pray that this place would be known as a place where we're a community, where we love each other truly in the way you've called us to. So Lord, be with people today. Lord, we love you, we trust you, and we believe that you're at work with your people. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you, everybody. You can go ahead and grab a seat. Thank you so much for praying and we're believing that God is going to move, amen? Well this is week number six and it is the final week of the series that we began on John the Baptist. And the series started because uh, we couldn't think of a single time where uh, we'd heard a message on John the Baptist, let alone a series that dug into his life and really considered what it means for us. And John the Baptist is a true Bible hero. John is a true Bible hero. In fact, we called the series uh, The Life and Death of a Hero, and that is John the Baptist. And up until this point, we've been looking at the life of John. We started by looking at how he's prophesied about in the Old Testament, and there are a number of times where John the Baptist is promised that he would come, a messenger would come, somebody would come to prepare the way, and this was said hundreds of years before John actually did come. We also talked about his birth and how he ministered and how important baptism is and how John was consumed with pointing people to Jesus. And last week, Megan shared a message looking at John in prison and what we can learn from that. And this week, we're going to look at the death of John the Baptist. And when we first committed to doing the series, we mapped out six weeks' worth of topics. And as Megan said last week, I think we easily could have added two or three more weeks to the series. But over the six weeks, we've had myself, Pastor Lisa, and Megan have shared a message. And when we were discussing who was going to take what week, the question of who's going to look at the death of John the Baptist. Both Megan and Lisa said, "Not it." So here I am, and I had a good—I uh, had some good stuff this week looking into this, and I found some really helpful and some interesting stuff that hopefully I can share with you. Well, the death of John the Baptist—it's not a pretty story, and as we'll read in a moment—but I did learn a lot, and I really do think there's some good stuff here that's going to be helpful. But the title of the series: "Life and Death of a Hero." And I hope that in the past few weeks, we've uncovered many ways that John is a hero. But how do we see his heroics in his final chapter, in his final days? How do we see John as a hero? So in the story of John's death, how are we supposed to look to him as a hero? Now, there are some heroes who we may admire for their talent or their achievements. But then there are other types of heroes, true heroes, who we would want to imitate and learn from. I had um, some good news this week that on January 27th, a new Bob Dylan album is being released. That is definitely worth a round of applause. Come on somebody. If you're new to the church, I have a weird obsession with Bob Dylan. It is weird and it is an obsession. But I love Bob Dylan's music. I love the Beatles. But I'm not looking to these guys about how to live my life. I admire Bob Dylan's talents, Me and 12 other people are real excited about this new album coming out. (laughs) Though I may admire the talent, I'm not looking to these guys as how do I build my life? How do I become the man that God's called me to be? How do I become the person that God has called me to be? How do I love my wife? How do I love my kids? How do I help lead the job? I'm not looking to John Lennon for that. And instead, you wanna find true heroes, people worth imitating. And of course, Jesus is the ultimate hero. But the Bible also tells us about other heroes who are worth learning from and imitating. As we consider John's role as a hero, there are significant things in his life that you and I can learn from and imitate, and this is beyond someone whose talent we admire or someone whose accomplishments are impressive. In John, we see an outstanding example. John was a hero because he showed character, commitment, and courage. John was a hero because he showed character, commitment, and courage. One of the ways we can clearly appreciate John as a hero is by contrasting him with the man who imprisoned John and the man who ultimately would order his execution, King Herod Antipas. The story of John's death features Herod more than John in actuality. And as we'll see, Herod is just as much a villain as John is a hero. A King Herod, if this is new to you and the history around this is is incredibly interesting to get into, but for our purposes today, King Herod the Great was Herod Antipas' father. And it was Herod the Great who did the majority of the rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. He was also the king at the birth of Jesus and he was the one who met with the wise men. And he was the one that ordered that the children in Bethlehem be killed. That man would go on to have three sons. One of them was Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas, he ruled over a portion of his father's kingdom. He ruled over Galilee and for all intents and purposes, Galilee was like a state in the country of Israel. And Herod Antipas, he was not really a king. The Roman Empire who lorded over that region at the time, they refused him the title of king, but locally he would demand that people refer to him as a king. So when the Bible refers to him as King Herod, it's because that's how he was known, not because that's the official title he held. In actuality, he had very little power or authority. He had some, but not more than the Romans wanted him to have. In lots of ways, he was an empty suit. In lots of ways, he was a puppet or a figurehead but he was wealthier than the average person. He had some opportunity to rub shoulders with the upper class around Galilee and Judea, but there was minimal comparison between the kings of the New Testament and the kings of the Old Testament, both in the level of power they wielded and in the role of leading the nation spiritually. Herod had a history of failing in any sort of devotion to God. Most notably, Herod built his capital city of Tiberias on top of a pagan cemetery, which discounts a whole host of Old Testament laws. Consequently, the devout Jewish people lost any respect for him and he even had trouble finding people willing to live in Tiberias because it was a city built on top of a cemetery. Luke records that Herod put John in prison, adding this sin to his many others. And then there's Herod's wife Herodias. She was previously married to Herod's wife, uh, sorry, Herod's brother Philip. This not only caused family drama and political disputes, but it was also contrary to the Old Testament law. Herod was attempting to finish his father's project of rebuilding the temple. And in keeping with the Old Testament, you would want God-honoring leaders to head up such an important mission. But like Herod the Great, his son Herod Antipas did not show any concern for God or following the Jewish law. And if you follow the history of Herod and Herodias beyond what's recorded in the Bible, their life has an unhappy ending as they end up making enemies of the Romans and getting exiled and left in poverty and obscurity. Now, where are we going to be today to look at the death of John the Baptist in the Gospel of Mark? And at the point where we're going to pick up the story, Jesus has been active in ministry, miracles have been happening, Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom of God, and evidently he's creating a stir, and people are starting to talk. So we're going to pick this up in Mark 6, verse 14. Herod Antipas, the king, soon heard about Jesus, because everyone was talking about him. Some were saying, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do such miracles. Others said, he's the prophet Elijah. Still others said, he's a prophet like the other great prophets of the past. When Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded has come back from the dead. For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. She had been his brother's wife, Phil, uh, brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. John had been telling Herod, it is against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. For Herod respected John, and knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him. Herodias's chance finally came on Herod's birthday. He gave a party for his high government officials, army officers, and the leading citizens of Galilee. Then his daughter, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. Ask me for anything you like, the king said to the girl and I will give it to you. He even vowed, I will give you whatever you ask up to half my kingdom. She went out and asked her mother, what should I ask for? Her mother told her, ask for the head of John the Baptist. So the girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. Then the king deeply regretted what he had said, but because of the vows he had made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in the prison, brought his head on a tray, and gave it to the girl who took it to her mother. When John's disciples heard what had happened, they came to get his body and buried it in a tomb. It's a gruesome story. But John has been in prison for up to a year. And it appears that there had been some kind of compromise. Herodias wanted him dead. Herod tried to settle this by having him imprisoned instead. Herod then throws a party that included high government officials, army officers, and the leading citizens of Galilee. And the party is certainly not in keeping with Jewish customs, but rather the pagan revelry that's typical in the Roman Empire. It's an attempt to impress the high society of that region. And while everyone has had way too much to drink, we have a dance from his daughter. Now, it's possible this was Herod's daughter or stepdaughter, but the dance is described in a way, and in the Greek, it's clear to see that it's provocative and arousing. And Herod is enjoying and improving of all of it. This moment is stomach-turning. This weird display of incestual seduction from a teenage girl is shocking, and that is how we are intended to respond, with shock and disgust. In a drunken, seemingly aroused state, Herod makes an irrational promise. Herod didn't even have the power to give away any part of his kingdom, let alone up to half of it, but it opened the door for Herodias to manipulate, scheme, and force Herod to act. In a culture that's driven by honor and shame, Herod felt compelled to honor the request to have John the Baptist beheaded, and the head brought to the party in a ghoulish display. It's a tragic end for one of the Bible's true heroes. And this is the only portion in all of Mark's gospel that doesn't follow the events of Jesus' life, but rather puts the attention on someone else. And this story really is more about Herod than John. And we spent a week looking at John's bold humility a few weeks ago. And it's important to acknowledge that John consistently showed himself to have a strong character, a strong commitment to God, and true courage. The story of his death, which largely focuses on Herod, shows all of these qualities are entirely missing in Herod's life. Herod shows a noteworthy lack of commitment, character, or courage. To help appreciate John as a hero, we're shown the very opposite of a hero in King Herod. From this story alone, we learn a lot about Herod's character. We see that he was unapologetically sinful. The scandalous drama with his brother's wife. The pagan-style revelry when he's supposed to be a God-honoring Jewish authority and leader. That he's participating in a disturbing, seductive dance with his daughter. That he's consumed with impressing others and being a big shot. That he locked up John without a justifiable reason. That means he abused the power that he'd been given. And this is no small thing. As people, we have a deep abrasion to people who abuse the power that they've been trusted with. He was weak and manipulated. He was falling for the routine his wife plays, and that's not the actions of a hero. The very fact that someone is able to be played and manipulated shows that others around them have minimal respect and no admiration for them. We also see that he was impulsive. He was quick to make a commitment to do whatever his daughter wanted. And that, of course, ended badly. We also see that he was stubborn, that he heard the truth that he had listened to John. He had heard what John had to say. He was even interested in listening to what John had to say. He was interested in the truth, but he did nothing about it. He didn't repent. He didn't let that message affect his life. Mark 20, Mark 620, Herod respected John, and knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him, and yet it didn't change his life. As we've seen over the last few weeks, John was consumed with talking about Jesus. And while we don't know the content of their conversations between John and Herod, surely they talked about the preparation for the day of the Lord. Surely John tried to show Herod his need for repentance. Surely they talked about Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We know that prior to being arrested, John confronted Herod about his sinfulness, including his marriage. It's a pity that Herod didn't receive the message well and have it change his life. We also see that Herod was racked with guilt. Mark 6, 16, when Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded has come back from the dead. The commentators point out that this line of thinking belongs to a guilty mind. To hear about Jesus and instantly have thoughts of John come to mind shows that this is weighing heavily upon him, it suggests a strong feeling of guilt. Now John, he was a hero because he did show character, commitment, and courage. John showed repeatedly strength of character a solid commitment to God, the courage to live out one's faith. And that, of course, was all completely absent from Herod's life. Megan read this passage last week, but I'm gonna read it again and we can clearly see John's example of character, commitment, and courage as Jesus talks about John while he was still in prison. This is Luke 7, starting in verse 24. After John's disciples left, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed, swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people who wear beautiful clothes live and found in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. Now let's compare the two. From what we've seen from Herod and the death of John and how Jesus spoke about John. For Herod, what we just read, we read that he was weak and manipulated. And John, he's not swayed like a reed in the wind. Herod, we see him abusing the wealth and the authority that he had. But John was faithful with little. Not wearing impressive clothes or living in luxury in a palace. From Herod, we see that he embraced sin wholeheartedly and rejected God. But we hear Jesus talk about John as a devout man, and Jesus describes him as more than a prophet. From Herod, we see that he failed in his responsibilities as king. But for John, we see that he prepared the way of the Lord just as he had been asked to. Herod was a man with a lot of terrible traits, an awful man who ruined the lives of a lot of people. And yet for John, Jesus says, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Despite being heroic and a role model in many ways, John's death was anything but heroic. Just like today, ancient people generally hope to live to an old age, and as the Bible describes, that they will be full of years before dying peacefully, surrounded by loved ones after living a great life. The next most preferable way to die after that is in an act of heroism, in a moment of bravery to save the life of someone else, or in a battle that is ultimately won, or in a rescue mission. These are seen as fitting ways for a true hero to end their life. What we see from John is not a fitting way for a hero to die. He was imprisoned for no good reason. He was beheaded as part of a malicious scheme. His head was paraded around on a tray for the party guests to see. And then his mutilated body was buried, lonely and in disgrace. And yet, despite this, John is clearly a great hero. This is an invitation to think differently about who or why we admire, respect, and imitate people. For you and I, let's take a moment and let's think about three, four, or five or so people who have made the greatest positive impact on our lives. Who are those names that come to mind? Who are those people that have made such a positive difference in your life? Who are those people that have helped shape how you view the world and how you live and how you navigate life? My guess is that of all the people, who have made a positive difference in your life, very few, if any, were household names. If making a positive difference in people's lives is our highest calling, which it is, and it's based simply on our own experience, we can see that we don't need to achieve the things often assumed with heroics. To make a positive difference in someone's life, we don't need prestige or a long list of accomplishments or an impressive bank account. That's not what we see from John. We see that he made a great life difference in people's lives the people that have made it in our lives don't have all the things we often assume with heroics. Unfortunately, Herod never figured this out. He was driven by impressing others. Like his father before him, he wanted the approval of the Romans and worked tirelessly to get it. He consistently acted in ways that would boost his own status and attempt to acquire more and more power and prestige. The party we've been looking at today is a perfect example of this. But true heroics is given someone something worth imitating. Herod is, of course, an extreme example of what not to do. And if we measure heroism in the wrong way, we won't understand heroics. And John gives us a good role model. The consistent theme every week in the series has been John's total commitment to preparing the way for Jesus. The details around John's death may be gruesome, but they're not insignificant. There are a number of noteworthy similarities between the death of John and the events around Jesus' crucifixion. Firstly, Both John and Jesus were arrested. In Mark 6, 17, For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. We also see from Jesus that he also was arrested. In Mark 14, Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. They bound Jesus, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. They were both part of a premeditated death plot. So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. And then forward to Jesus and his own premeditated death plot. It was now two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. From both John and Jesus, we see fear from powerful people in the process of their death. Mark 6, 20. Because Herod Feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. And then for Mark's gospel, talking about Jesus. When the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. Again, Mark 12. The religious leaders wanted to arrest Jesus, but they were afraid of the crowd, so they let him, uh, left him and went away. And then chapter 14. The leading priest and the teacher of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. We all see from both John and Jesus that as part of their death, there was manipulation. Mark 6, 24, her mother told her, ask for the head of John the Baptist. So the girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. And then from John's gospel, talking about Jesus, Then Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leaders shouted, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar's. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. We also see an innocent man executed under pressure. Then the king deeply regretted what he had said, but because of the vows he had made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her, the pressure. And then for Jesus in Mark 15, Pilate asked them, then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead tip whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. And finally, for both John and Jesus, we see a burial. Mark 6:29. When John's disciples heard what had happened, they came to get his body and buried it in a tomb. And in Mark 15, the officer confirmed that Jesus was dead, so Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. Joseph brought a long uh, sheet of linen cloth. Then he took Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped it in the cloth, and laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. All these details from John's death point us to the cross. This is not to compare John to Jesus. We, of course, know and we can see that Jesus is infinitely greater than John and indeed anyone else. But the tragic moment of John's death points us to the crucifixion. The shame and dishonor was also there on the day of Jesus' death. The crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus is the greatest moment in human history. And in this prophetic way, God is using the events and the details of John's death to point people to what would be achieved for humanity on the cross. It sets the stage for the readers of Mark's gospel to see that another righteous person would also be mistreated, would be arrested on phony charges, that they would be a part of a sham trial, and they would be unfairly killed in a dishonorable way. Even in death, John is pointing people to Jesus. There's a number of verses that talk about John the Baptist after his death. This helps us gain insight into his legacy. Even after he'd been killed and buried, we can see how his legacy mattered to the first disciples and to the early church. In John 10, 40, this is after the death of John the Baptist. He went beyond the Jordan River, near the place where John was first baptizing, it's talking about Jesus, and stayed there a while, and many followed him. John didn't perform miraculous signs, they remarked to one another, but everything he said about this man, talking about Jesus, has come true, and many who were there believed in Jesus. After John's death, people are still considering what he taught. After John's death, they're still thinking about how he helped them understand who Jesus is. And people have reflected back on John's preaching and his teaching and have confirmed by looking to Jesus that it has all been fulfilled. His ministry and his message are validated after his death. And again, Luke 16, this is Jesus talking. Until John the Baptist, the law of Moses and the message of the prophets were your guides. But now, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone is eager to get in. This is Jesus pointing to John the Baptist as the turning point of the whole biblical story. According to Jesus, there was a before John the Baptist and an after John the Baptist. And John is the only person to get anything close to this kind of designation from Jesus. It's not the only time that Jesus would talk favorably about John after his death. Matthew 21 Then Jesus explained his meaning, I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him, while tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. And as the Bible story progresses, Jesus is arrested, crucified, and then resurrected. He then commissions his followers to go and make disciples before he ascends back to heaven. And as the disciples begin the work of establishing the first churches and repeating the message of Jesus, they continue including John in their retelling of the gospel. This is Peter talking in Acts 10. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We also see this from Paul, who had never met John because he became a follower of Jesus years after John was killed. But Paul also talks about John favorably. In Acts 13, and this is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. Before he came, John the Baptist preached that all the people of Israel needed to repent of their sins and turn to God and be baptized. As John was finishing his ministry, he asked, Do you think I am the Messiah? No, I am not, but he is coming soon. And I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the sandals on his feet. The story of Jesus, as told by Paul the Apostle, included the preparation of John. Remember, Paul never met John. He had no connection with him. But he knew the role John played in preparing the way for Jesus. We also get to see the deep effect of John's baptism that it had on people from the book of Acts. In chapter 18, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. He knew of John's baptism. And there are people that are still living with the commitment of the baptism decision they made with John. But just as John kept preaching that there is more, I'm just here to prepare the way, we see that there is more for people to experience. Similarly, we get an account in chapter 19. When Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled there uh, through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast, where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Once again, we see John prepared people for more of what God had for them. This is a rich legacy for someone to have following their death that their work, that their ministry would still have value, that their work would still be yielding fruit, would still be impacting people's lives. That, my friends, is a strong legacy. And if John would have been careless with his character, if he was wishy-washy in his commitment, if he lacked courage when it was called upon, this would not be his story. If you would have asked me a year ago who my hero was, I would have had an answer for you. In that year, in the last 12 months, this person that I would have said, that's my hero. Questions have come up about his character. There have been some moral and ethical problems that have come up. He's since been removed from his church. Today, he's spending time on his social media trying to reclaim his reputation and maintain some kind of platform and influence. Character, compromised. Commitment, uncertain. Courage lacking when needed. King Herod will go down in history as a failure, and John is remembered all over the world by believers as a true hero. John's heroics were shown in his character. He was honest, trustworthy, and unflinching. John's heroics were shown in his obedience and his commitment as he fulfilled the call that God had for him while enduring every season and every challenge. John's heroics were shown in his courage to stay true to his faith in the face of danger, both confronting Herod and sticking to his principles while in prison. John's heroics were shown by his unrelenting devotion to Jesus. A massive part of this series has examined how John's whole ministry was based on elevating Jesus and preparing people to receive the Lord, and he was true to that call. John's heroics weren't proved by his accomplishments, His heroics were improved by his wealth, his accomplishments, the adoration of the crowd, none of that proved his heroics. He never held a significant position of power, he never achieved status, and yet he is a true hero because of simple faithfulness. He had character, showed commitment, and had courage. He honored Jesus first and above all, that's what makes John a hero. The world around us, continues to celebrate the temporary things. The world around us continues to celebrate achievements, accomplishments, status, and it's deceptively easy to see that creep into our lives. We can easily overestimate the importance of status, wealth, and accomplishments. None of these things in of themselves are evil or things we should be repulsed by, but are they overvalued? Do we care about these things too much? Or do we take John's example and care more about being faithful in character, commitment, and courage? Or as Jesus said, do we seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and trust that he will give you everything you need? Mm -hmm. Seek first the kingdom and live righteously by prioritizing our character, our commitment to God and our courage to endure. John died a disgraceful death, not in honor, but in humiliation as part of a manipulative scheme between a vindictive wife and a weak husband. But 2000 years later, no one can come up with a reasonable criticism of John's character. His faithful commitment to God or the courage that he endured to fulfill his calling. Despite having moments of doubt, John is a true hero because he stayed the course. Herod is an extreme example of an antagonist. It would of course be very confusing if someone admired and looked up to Herod, but it's true that we should be careful who we do look up to we should wonder and ask ourselves what's influencing our perception and understanding and what's changing and influencing our values jesus ends the sermon on the mount by telling people that they should build their life on him and his teaching we just read that our call as followers of jesus is to seek his kingdom and his righteousness first and foremost believing that everything else we need will be added along the way some sincere reflection goes a long way pondering and reflecting how our hearts and minds are being shaped goes a long way. Reading the Bible with an openness to being challenged and corrected. Being aware of how strong of an influence some people have on us. How much weight do we give to someone's opinion? How eager are we for people's approval? How much does the applause and the accolades mean to us? Are our most important friendships iron sharpening iron or the blind leading the blind? I've often said give friendship to many but influenced a few. Give friendship to many, but influenced a few. The example from Jesus is to be a good, true friend to many, but we're also taught to guard our hearts and to be on alert, loving people, giving friendship, caring about people, all the while being careful and thoughtful about who we're allowing to shape our outlook and who is influencing our heart. Jesus will forever be the ultimate role model, and the Bible offers many other people we can learn from and people we can imitate. It is the responsibility for believers to be careful about which voices we care about most and to wonder whether these voices are inspiring the kind of character, commitment, and courage we see in John the Baptist. It's easy to find voices that will inspire a compromise of character. It's easy to find voices that will insist we settle for a weak and inconsistent commitment to our faith. It's easy to find voices that will demand we agree to things we do not agree with. And those same voices will discount our courage to remain strong in faith. And some will uh, perceive us being strong in conviction as foolish and even reprehensible. It's right and appropriate and important that we care and we are careful about who we look up to, who we imitate, whose approval we crave, where our values and priorities are decided. I don't want to leave it to chance. I wanna be influenced by people who inspire me to live my life in the way God has called me to live. People that inspire me to keep God in the center of my life, that help me be a better husband and father, give friendship to many, but influence to few. Today, the World Cup is starting. It is game day one, and I plan over the next month on admiring, watching, and enjoying seeing some of the most talented athletes in the world. I wish more of them played for England. But I'm looking forward to these highly skilled players playing the game. I'm not gonna be asking them for wisdom. I'm not gonna be asking them for advice. I'm not gonna be asking them for things that matter most to me. There's a 99% chance, much to Megan's disdain, that I'll be listening to the Beatles this afternoon. But I'm not looking at John Lennon for tips on how to lead the church. I have many friends that I care about deeply and I treasure and I value them even though they don't share my faith. I love them, but I wanna understand my life and set my values on what God says, even though people I care about may disagree with me. A part of being faithful and effective is being determined to make a difference. In whatever sphere God has placed you in, each of us is called to make a positive difference, not to withdraw and disconnect and not to go with the flow and passively fit in but to bring the goodness of God into the room when we walk in. Parents, give your kids something to copy. I figured out a long time ago that my children don't need to be impressed with me. They need a role model. Of course, I want my kids to love me, but I also need to give them something to respect. Fathers, don't let your sons guess how to be a man. The qualities we can observe from John the Baptist, do your sons see that modeled at home? Do your sons watch a man who has a strong character, someone who is true to his word, someone who's a reliable employee, someone who is honest even when it costs him, someone who takes care of their responsibilities? Do your kids see someone who's daily living out their commitment to follow God? Do your kids know that you pray for them? Do you share with your kids what you're reading in the Bible and the ups and downs of life that will inevitably come? Do your kids watch you remain solid in your faith in Jesus? Do so your kids so you act courageously? So they watch you resist fitting in? So they watch you be ready to stand up for what's right? So they watch you help people and care for people and love people when others don't? Now lucky for you, I've got this all figured out. Just don't ask Megan to verify. John was a hero because he showed character, commitment, and courage, not just on occasions. But this is the life he led, this is the life he built. We should take his example seriously as Jesus describes him as the greatest man who ever lived. Despite no auspicious accomplishments, despite never acquiring wealth and glory, despite dying in humiliating circumstances at the hands of lesser people, John remains a true hero for all who follow Jesus. I got a couple of questions. Maybe go ahead and write these down. Take a note on your phone something and maybe this week it's be helpful to reflect upon think about pray about perhaps even talk about with a spouse the first question this is a mouthful so i'll say it a couple of times what difference does it make if we resolve that our faith is a lifelong commitment not something swayed by life what difference does it make if we resolve if we determine deep in our hearts that our faith is a lifelong commitment Not something convenient not something that's good today. We'll see how it goes tomorrow But it is a lifelong commitment if we resolve that's the kind of life. We're living if that's the kind of faith We're building. It's not something swayed by life. What difference would that make? Second question Do you care enough about your character? Do you care enough about your character? Character is the key to everything Without character, our legacy is destroyed. We read today how John had a fine, rich, noble, fruitful legacy that he left after he died. If his character was compromised, if his commitment was compromised, that legacy would have been destroyed. Do we care enough about our character? We're gonna take some time. We're gonna go back into worship. And uh, I wanna invite you to stand at this time. I'm gonna pray again and then We're gonna spend some time worshiping and I hope that during this time of worship that there's a a moment of reflection. Perhaps there's a handful of things from today. Maybe there's just one thing. Maybe there's one Bible verse that has stuck out that is rolling around in your mind right now. But I'm gonna believe that with some reflection, we're gonna see some change and we're gonna see our hearts transform, amen? Lord, Lord, take this message. Lord, take it, use it. May the words of Tom Wood fade to the background, but your words grab a hold of somebody, transform someone's heart, transform someone's perception, their understanding of life, how they view a hero and where their idea of values come from. All these things, Lord. Use something from today to bless somebody, to enrich somebody's faith, their commitment to you, their love for you, their devotion to you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on over. Let's spend some time worshiping together.
0: every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Let's declare that. We live for you worthy. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of every praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath could ever breathe, we live for you, we live for you, Jesus. Jesus, the name above every other name, Jesus, the only one who could ever save, worthy of every breath, for you.
2: John the Baptist right and we've been talking about how John the Baptist was there to point the way to Jesus and then we're singing this song and we're talking about how he's the only one that can save and how we're going to choose to live our life for him and before we start leaving this morning I just want us to just take some time to just be able to offer that choice for somebody this morning. So, I'll just ask you to do me a favor. If you can just, no moving around for just a few minutes so that we can just give everybody that opportunity, and I promise you we'll dismiss here in a few minutes. We're actually done pretty early this morning. Life Kids is still having a great time this morning. You don't have to rush out quite yet. But if that's you this morning and you haven't made that choice yet, you haven't made that decision to put Jesus first in your life. We've been talking about John and we've been talking about how he spent his whole entire life pointing towards Jesus, pointing towards the Messiah to come. And here we are, we're on the other side of it. We already know that the Messiah came. We know the story. We know that he died for our sins so that we could have a relationship with him. And we have this choice that we can put him first in our lives so we can live our life for him, placing him king of our life. If you haven't made that decision yet i would love to pray with you this morning so with everybody's heads bowed eyes closed and if you're online with us you can go ahead and you can click the raise hand i know there's already decisions being made online how awesome is that but we're going to go ahead and i'm going to ask you while everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed if you would like to make that decision you just want to put your hand up I'm gonna start on my right side here and I'm gonna make my way across the room. I don't wanna miss anybody. If that's you, you can go ahead and raise your hand now. Yeah, I see you. Who else can I pray for this morning? Over in the center of the room. And over to the left. Anybody else that I can pray for this morning? Yeah, I'm see you. Yeah. And I'm going to make my way across the room one more time. I don't want to miss anyone. If you haven't put your hand up yet and you feel that nudge of, I need to put my hand up, I'm looking for you. It's worth waiting for you this morning. Make my way across the room just looking for anybody else that I might have missed. Can we go ahead and give an applause for all those who put their hands up this morning, online and in person? Greatest decision you'll ever make. Jesus died for you, he values you, he loves you, he forgives you, all these things to be true. And making him king of your life and following him with everything is the greatest decision you can make. So we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna pray this prayer. You can repeat after me. It's gonna be behind me on the screens. And we're all gonna pray this prayer together. Everybody in the room. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I wanna follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen.